Hello, I'm Willie George. I want to welcome you to our podcast, this one called The Spiritual Man. We're in part 18. And I want to take you now to the book of Ephesians because I want to explain why God has to lead us in steps and stages. And we're going to begin reading in chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You don't wear the armor of God, you're, you're not able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand. And it goes on, we're not going to talk about the armor of God, that's not the theme of this particular teaching, but this element is critical to understanding why God does what He does in revealing His plans to us one step at a time. Uh, because we are in a war, we're in a spiritual war, God does not lay His plans out in the open. We're opposed by spiritual enemies who have the capacity to wield tremendous influence. We have enough trouble dealing with people. We have enough trouble overcoming things in our own flesh that we have to deal with, let alone resistance from Satan and uh, wicked spiritual influences. And people yield to these things and don't even realize that they're being used by these evil powers. They do not get that. And unfortunately... The church has become so intellectual that a lot of people don't even consider these spiritual enemies anymore. They, they don't even realize they exist. I, I am grateful for the training that I had and some of the exposure I had to good teaching and good books on this subject so that when some of these things happened in my early walk with God, I was able to see exactly where they came from. Um, after I graduated from high school uh, a few years later, uh, we were free to go to just any football game we wanted to go to in the neighborhood. And there were two teams in our area that they happened to be in the district that I once played in, but they were the, the best teams in the area. And one night they were playing, and we decided to, to go see that particular football game. And uh, so one of the things that I decided to do just to be safe is I did not wear my letter jacket. I had a letter jacket that identified who I was and when I played and all that kind of stuff. And and so uh, I did not want to wear that to those games because I knew it might invite some kind of uh, provocation. So I just wore a regular coat. So we went to that game, and as we were watching the game, I got up to go down to the concession stand under the bleachers to get a Coke and some popcorn. And as I was walking down that front aisle, uh, right, you know, the football field is to my right, and all the bleachers and the people are to my left, there was a teenage girl who yelled out at me from a group of teenagers, and she said, hey, and I turned and looked at her, and she began to curse me, and she began to insult me, and it was heavy. I mean, you could feel something evil coming off her words, and I was just totally shocked, embarrassed, humiliated by what she had just done. So 
I went on down the steps, went down, waited in line, got my drink, and I thought, i got to walk right by this girl and these people again to go back. And while I was down there, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, you do realize what just happened, don't you? That was a demon spirit. And don't let that demon spirit talk to you like that. So I took my stuff after I got it and went over and, and just stopped for a minute before I went back up those stairs. And I said, Satan, I take authority over you. You have no right to talk to me like that. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I bind you from operating through that young lady. You will not speak to me again like that. In Jesus' name, shut your mouth. Now, Jesus did that. Jesus told evil spirits in people, you cannot speak. His meetings were interrupted regularly by people who were demon-possessed. And In fact, I, I, I'm assuming by the narrative that these people probably behaved most of the time when church was going on or when there was some kind of a meeting in the synagogue. But when Jesus showed up, he represented such a threat to the spiritual powers that they reacted and they attacked him. That's what happened with me. That demon knew who I was. The girl didn't, but that demon knew who I was and recognized me as a spiritual person. He's going to attack me. So I walked up the steps, turned, and I paused, and I looked right into the eyes of that girl. And this time she ducked her head and she held it down in shame. She was a totally different person. And boy, that was an amazing lesson for me. I could see there really is a spiritual war in the atmosphere that rages round about us. So for this reason, God gives us his plans and his strategies on a need-to-know basis. If he laid everything out in the open and told you the very whole process, the whole thing from beginning to end, and gave it all to you at once and laid it out there and you talked about it and printed it up and drew pictures of it and so forth, you, you, and I'm not saying you don't give maps to your people for building and you don't do plans, that, that's important, but you don't tell everything you know because it gives the devil an advantage over you. Uh, in World War II, there's an amazing story. This is one of the most fascinating things. In fact, they kept it classified even after the war. They didn't tell everybody that they did this. But uh, it was called Operation Fortitude, and uh, it took place in Britain. And they utilized uh, General George Patton. Now, George Patton was an amazing general, but he had a tendency to fly off the handle, and uh, he was uh, defrocked for striking uh, one of his young men who was in uh, combat fatigue. And so it called him a coward, and it didn't go over well with the brass, and they, uh, they took Patton's command away from him. But the Germans feared Patton more than they feared any other general, and so the Allied commanders decided that they would use this to their advantage. They knew they had to invade Britain. And the most logical place to stage the invasion was across the narrowest strip of the English Channel, which was called the Pas de Calais. And uh, it, it was a 30-mile stretch of water between England and France. It was the most logical place to cross. And so the Germans fortified Calais more than any area of their coast because they assumed that the British would come on shore there. Now, they, they, they fortified the whole coast, but Calais was worse than any other spot. 
Well, the Allies realized that they had an advantage uh, to this kind of thinking because they could get the Germans to deploy inordinate numbers of troops and defenses at Calais that would keep them from um, uh, moving troops to other places where they might decide to attack. They chose Normandy, where the water crossing was like 100 miles. Uh, so uh, they, they did this in order to deceive the Germans. But one of the ways they did it was they put Patton in charge of an imaginary army called the First Army Group. And, and Patton had all of these imaginary soldiers. They had him giving speeches. They made sure he was highly visible in that part of England that was closest to the Pas de Calais. And then they had rubber army tanks and canvas trucks, canvas ships, actually, that they put in the channels. And they made it look like there was a huge invasion force that was going to be sprung there. And they employed double agents. They knew some of their own people were in contact with the Germans, and they fed them information and pictures, and they increased the radio traffic. They did all of these things in that area. And so when D-Day was finally launched on June the 6th, 1944, uh, the Germans were slow to recognize that it was the real invasion. They refused to believe it because they were sure, they were certain, it was going to come at the Pas de Calais. So uh, they used this to deceive the enemy. And I, I think it's a fascinating story. God is very much the same way. God does not reveal all of his plans so that Satan might gain an advantage over us. Uh, there's a story in the book of Genesis where when Abraham came into the land of Canaan, the Bible says the Canaanite was in the land, meaning that there were giants in the land ahead of Abraham. Why? Because 25 years earlier, God had spoken to Abraham about, you're going to go to a land that I will show you. Abraham didn't go right away. He delayed a little bit. And so it gave the enemy some time to begin to prepare the land. When you see the difference in the land from the time that um, uh, Joseph and his family were in Egypt and he was feeding them there and the time that Moses and the children of Israel and Joshua and the children of Israel came back, you see that the whole land of Canaan changed. It was now a fortified camp. It had huge fortified cities that developed in that 400-year period from the time of the promise to the time of the return to the land of Canaan because the devil had time to set up opposition to keep the children of Israel from coming. Now, it ultimately backfired on him because all those cities that they built and all the ground they developed, all the crops they planted, all of the things they did wound up going straight to the children of Israel and they were able to move into cities that they did not build and enjoy the fruit of the land that they did not plant. And so God used that, uh, but nonetheless you can still see how the enemy set this whole thing up to oppose them. Now, for this reason, when we follow God, we often only have one step. And that's frustrating. I got to tell you, as a leader and, and, and one who leads people, and I want to know where we're going to be meeting in a couple of years and so forth, I've had to deal with this. Hey, when we started Church on the Move in the summer of 1987, I had seven Sundays in a hotel conference center, and that's it. 
That's the only meeting place I could find. But God said, start. And we started on the first weekend in July, the 5th of July, 1987. And I had seven weeks. Every school was booked. There was no other place to go. The hotel loved us, but they were booked up after that. So we had no place to go. But the Lord said, it'll be okay, start. So I started in faith. I had one step. I had a guaranteed church location for seven Sundays. <laughs> and then after we started, about a month in, we checked again with that school system to see if indeed their building was still spoken for and the church that was going to start, that was ahead of us, that had that uh, eighth grade center reserved for their meeting, they backed off their plans and we were able to get it. And that was our second step in ministry. But we had to start with what we knew. It's a walk of faith. And, and i got to tell you, your flesh doesn't like to walk in faith. My flesh doesn't want to walk in faith. I want plans. I want guarantees. We all want those things. But let me tell you why God doesn't give them. God doesn't give them to you very often because you are facing spiritual adversaries and they do are, are set against you. So God only gives you a bit at a time. Now, this is so very, very important. Very important. No step is wasted. God uses every step that he gives you. No step is wasted. You will learn things in those steps that you will use later on at a very critical time. And so even though that may be a small step and you may be in a phase where your auditorium is not as big as you wish it was or your paycheck isn't as big as you wish it was or you're frustrated with what you're having to work with or you're having to deal or work alongside very difficult people, it's okay. You are learning something in every phase. God is using every phase to prepare you. And later on, you will realize just how important that is. Now, when we take a look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, we see this spiritual opposition that came against him. I mean, the minute that King Herod found out that the king of the Jews had been born in Bethlehem, he determined to do something about it. He wanted to have all the baby boys killed in and around Bethlehem so that he could wipe out the one that he thought would be a threat to his dynasty. He knew he was nearly dead, but, but, but he didn't want his children to have to fight uh, against this new king of the Jews. It, it, and it was just insecurity. It was just Satan working against his mind that made him so evil. And you can see that uh, God had to give a warning to Joseph and to get Mary and baby Jesus out of that area. The wise men came at just the right time and gave them the money that they needed to flee to Egypt, and it paid for the trip. All they had was a step. Now think about that. Joseph went to Egypt, and he had the, the resources to go there, but how long would that last? How long would they be there? But eventually the news came that he could go back to the land of Israel. So he did. All he had for that season was a step. When Jesus launched his earthly ministry, there were at least 12 different occasions where he was threatened physically or by something that could have killed him. Twelve different times. I counted it up with King David. There were over 25 betrayals of King David. Many of them would have killed him had they succeeded. 
And so here you see these people who were used mightily by God, and it's very romantic. We think that they stood in this place of great authority and everything always worked out, but, but they were under spiritual attack. And so they were given information on a need-to-know basis. David didn't get everything. The, the Bible says, we know in part. We know in part. We don't know it all. So we have to learn to walk by faith because we are in a hostile world, a world of demonic powers that hate what it is that we stand for. They hate what we do. And for this reason, God gives us information on a need-to-know basis. And, and, and when I read the story of the resurrection, and I see earlier in the Gospels how much of the resurrection sequence Jesus told the disciples about, they still didn't get it. It's, it's as if their, their minds were blocked to it. But you know what? It's a good thing they were not at the tomb on the morning of the resurrection. It's a good thing. Jesus' enemies were in possession of his body. It's a good thing that the apostles were weak at that moment when Christ was in the ground and before he rose from the dead because it really underscored the fact that they were not part of a grand conspiracy to steal away his body, to hide it, and then to say that he rose from the dead. Everybody knew they were in fear. And what it showed, it showed that the resurrection of Christ was something that God pulled off without the help of any man. i got to say this, and it's so important. God uses even our failures. Mark that down. God uses even our failures. And so that's why we can trust Him, because even when we don't see it all, when we don't understand it all, when we don't perform uh, at top level on every step, he still uses the steps we give him to move us forward into what he has for us. And very often it's at the end, and it was only at the end, after the whole thing was over with, that they fully realized what God did when he raised Jesus from the dead. And actually, it wasn't fully known until the Apostle Paul came and began to spell it all out in those amazing epistles. So, we walk by faith, not by sight, and we have to be spiritual in order to receive the things that God has for us. Well, it's all the time I have today, but we will pick up here again tomorrow, and we'll continue till we wrap this up. Thank you so much for joining me. 